magazine or book. There's books for him and books for her and books for you and me. You'll find good books for everyone at your library. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lauren's Library. I'm your host, Lauren, and I am here to ramble about book stuff. So grab a seat, grab some coffee, grab a blanket, grab the steering wheel if you're driving, because I will not be paying for your accidents. But get comfortable, because we have a lot to talk about. And if you're new here, just wanted to give a special hello to you. Hey, hi, welcome. Thanks for popping in. Now that you're here, you can't leave, okay? Sorry, those are the rules. So here on episode 11, we'll be talking about authors who stalk their reviewers, books that changed my life, and then we have a short story written by me called Retribution. So take a few seconds to gather yourself. I'll wait for you, I promise. So recently I read this book called The Last Word by Taylor Adams. I actually chose it on a whim from the book of the month, maybe like a month or so ago back in June. I don't remember, but I kind of forgot about it. But then a few weeks ago, I decided to give it a shot since I had heard good reviews about it. And I thought the concept was pretty interesting, which is why I picked it in the first place. Um, it's, it's a book reviewer's worst nightmare, basically. Um, in the story, a young woman gives a book that she read a scathing one-star review. And instead of that being the end of it, the author contacts her and demands that she takes it down. And then instead of taking it down, she decides to keep it up. She didn't fold under the pressure. And as a result, the author stalks her. The book itself was actually really good. I gave it four stars, but only because it started dragging after a while. There were so many twists and turns. It made my head hurt a little bit. It took on a bit of an infomercial feel almost like every time you got close to the end, they hit you with another, but wait, there's more kind of twist. I had about one more twist left in me before I yeeted that book in a trash, but it finally ended. <laughs> and I mean, you'd think a book like that is purely fictional because what author in their right mind would stalk a reviewer and try to harm them because of a book? It should never be that serious, right? Like go outside and touch grass, get yourself together, right? Because you would never try to harm someone based on their opinion of a book, right? Right? Well, unfortunately for a few people, the plot of that book was a terrifying reality. P.S. These are also older stories, um, but I wanted to share them with you because I had never actually heard about them. Figured some of you might not have heard about them either. And I wanted to share the tea. So yeah, here we are. So Kathleen Hale, right? She allegedly cyberstalked a reviewer and showed up at their home. And then later on wrote a book about the experience, which is wild. But back in 2014, Hale published her first book called No One Else Can Have You through Harper Teen. Later on that year, Hale confessed to reading reviews of her work on Goodreads, which other authors had advised her against doing, clearly for good reason. And on Goodreads, one blogger left a harshly worded one-star review, and it caught the author's attention. Hale admitted to tearing through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn in search of this one person. 
She also admits that she allegedly paid for a background check on the Goodreads user, found their address, and then rented a car with the intentions of driving to the blogger's house. She stalked up to the blogger's front door and then left a book called A Short Guide to a Happy Life by Anna Quindlin on the porch, which I guess was supposed to be a passive aggressive way to tell her to stop being miserable, maybe? Even though just because a person doesn't like your book doesn't make them miserable, like make that make sense. But fortunately though, there was no face-to-face -face encounter with the blogger. But I mean, after that whole situation, they did stop blogging completely, which I don't blame them because if I were to post a one-star review and then the author shows up at my house, like, oh, I'm I'm definitely packing it up and calling it the day. Like, I, I will never write a review ever again. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Like, what is wrong with you? But anyway, in another incident, just a few months later, actually, another author by the name of Richard Britton posted part of his book on Wattpad. The book was called The World Rose. And little throwback moment you know your girl used to write stories on Wattpad I don't remember what my username was and I never finished any of those stories so if you ever happen to stumble across them sorry in advance because <laughs> I don't remember what they're about I don't remember what I was saying it was a dark time it's fine but Richard Britton right he wrote The World Rose and he posted some of it on Wattpad in hopes of getting feedback from readers and other authors one teenager named Paige Rowland, who was 18 at the time, did not particularly care for the work and made it known in her comments. Richard, who was a whole adult, mind you, found Paige through Facebook. And from there, he figured out where she worked and then went to her job on a day that she was scheduled to begin a shift. Britton allegedly grabbed a bottle from the alcohol aisle. And while poor Paige was kneeling over collecting cereal from the bottom shelf, Britton swung the bottle and hit her in the back of the head without warning, without a preamble without any type of conversation, any lead up to the moment, just grabbed the bottle and swung. One blow and Paige went down unconscious. Thankfully, she was transported to the hospital where she received care for her wounds. And during the court hearing for this case, it was revealed that Britton had actually stalked someone else a month prior, a classmate of his, and he'd used her Twitter and Instagram accounts to find where she worked and popped up on two different occasions to speak to her. I guess basically the moral of that story is don't tell people what you're doing on Instagram and Facebook because if you also on other websites giving people one-star reviews, they may come after you. So yeah, just keep that in mind. In both instances, Richard Britton and Kathleen Hale wrote something that they thought should have been above criticism and absolutely lost their marbles when someone had the nerve to not like it. All of the authors that I've talked about on this podcast so far have that same unfounded notion that just because they wrote it, that means it's perfect. And in my very humble opinion that none of you asked for, but I'm going to give to you anyway, this to me is an example of meritocracy manifesting itself in the book world. Let me explain. Let me show my work. Meritocracy is the completely incorrect belief that it is all based on skill and ability rather than luck having at least something to do with it, right? So, they think that just because, you know, they worked hard or they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps that they all of a sudden are going to be successful and they deserve everything ever good in life all the time. Before I even get into it, I just want to remind y'all that the opinions and thoughts expressed on this podcast and the subsequent blog are that of my own. You're not required to believe me or agree with me. Okay. Okay, great. That was my public service announcement, just in case y'all didn't know. So anyway, like anything else, book publishing is a business. While we may like to believe that it is all based on the skill of the writer, a great deal of it has to do with marketability. Same thing with anything else. Can we sell this to people? Can we make money off of this? 
will the public like this? Or on the flip side, will it cause enough of negative attention that it still brings us in money? Like, will it bring in enough buzz, positive or negative, to generate revenue? The answer is no. Then your manuscript, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears are poured into it, gets tossed in the garbage. Fortunately, with self-publishing options and indie publishing options, getting your book out there is a little less complicated than before. Unfortunately, though, this kind of feeds into the idea that it is all skill-based and not based on who has the resources to pay and do what. So authors like the ones I've mentioned on previous episodes struggled to come to grips with the fact that their work may not actually be good. They just had the resources to put it out. They had the resources to market it, or they were able to produce something that was easily marketable by other publishers. Not necessarily good. It seems to be authors with similar demographics that struggle with the concept that just because they wrote it doesn't automatically make it good to everyone. I ain't gonna put out any specifics on that demographic, but I'm gonna let y'all figure that out on your own. No matter if you wrote the next bestseller, it will never be good to everyone. I just need y'all to remember that. It will never be good to everyone. No matter how good the book is or how hard you worked on it or how many people do actually love it, someone is going to hate it. To feel so entitled to a good review just because you think you deserve it to the point where you attack people or bully people who don't agree is like wild behavior. I need y'all to do better, okay? Some individuals forget that complete doesn't automatically default to excellent. So when people who are fully allowed to not like something say, hey, this wasn't my favorite for these reasons, or hey, I wasn't vibing with it, then the authors absolutely panic and lose all grip on reality and retaliate. Because in their mind, because the book is out there for purchase, that automatically makes it five-star work. Just because nothing else could have been done in the editing room to progress the story does not mean it's automatic bestseller material. I'm gonna just be real with y'all. Just because you finished it doesn't make it good, okay? Okay, in case you were wondering, popularity doesn't make it good either, which is a bit of a wild concept, I know. <laughs> I get that. Like, if something is popular, then wouldn't that mean that it is good because everybody likes it? But no, not necessarily. Hype doesn't always equal skill, which is why we see so many of their popular books end up being a letdown. Like this group that I'm in on Facebook called Black Girls Read Books Too. There, there, a lot of them are talking about how, like, you know, what some of the popular books that they checked out ended up being trash or garbage. It's because, you know, people be hyping up mediocre work. I'm always iffy about reading super hype books because objectively, a lot of them just aren't that good. It can be easy to confuse the two though. So I can understand why some authors think that way. They seem to forget that just because someone gave it a good review that not everyone will like it. Like I said, not everything is for everyone and that is totally okay. Quick side note, which I'm super excited about. My book will be coming out soon. I'll give y'all some more details as we get closer. So be on the lookout for that. But also just to help me out, if y'all see me acting a fool over a one-star review, kindly redirect me back to this episode and others where I judge other authors for doing the same thing. I don't foresee that happening, but just in case I get a little beside myself, please, please tell me like, hey, um, Hey, go back and listen to your episode. Remember, not everyone has to like everything. Remember, feel free to remind me that not everyone's going to like it. Okay. And if I get a little too crazy, remind me to go outside and touch some grass. Okay. I'm counting on you guys. But in the meantime, I do want to share with you four books that absolutely changed my life. So relax your shoulders, unclench your jaw, 
and release all the tension in your body that you may be holding and breathe. I'll give you a few seconds. Go ahead. It's fine. back okay so boom books that changed my life right every now and then you read a book and it imprints itself on your heart and mind and forever changes how you think or feel about something right in my case i feel like i take away a little something from everything i read but these are just a few that resonated with me a little bit more than others and i'd like to share them with you maybe you'll read them Maybe you already have read them. Or maybe you'll just be like, yeah, this girl don't know what she's talking about. Whatever. Either way, I'm just going to share them with you. Okay? Okay. The first book is Bamboozled by Jesus. How God Tricked Me into Living the Life of My Dreams by Yvonne Orji, a.k.a. Molly from Insecure. When I found this book, I had just been laid off from a really stressful job in mental health. I was managing a crisis respite home for kids who had been removed from their foster placement and it was like eating away at me pretty slowly. Well, not really slowly. People say eating away at you slowly, but it was eating away at me very quickly. It was taking huge chunks, okay? Huge chunks, but I enjoy the job. I mean, I'll probably never do it again. Don't ask me, don't even look at my direction. I'm not doing it anymore. But I mean, it was it was a really rewarding job. I met some of like my really close friends from there. So I'm grateful for them. You know who you are. Around October of 2021, I got word that they were shutting down the program completely and me and my staff would be out of a job by the end of that month. So naturally I felt a little lost. Randomly after a comfort trip to Barnes and Nobles, I signed up for Audible and they gave me a free credit. I was waffling between this book and Will Smith's book because if anyone knows me, they know I'm a huge Will Smith fan, Chris Rock slap or not. I ride for Will, okay? But anyway, something told me to get Yvonne's book instead. Started listening to it with absolutely no expectations. She talked about her journey into fame and how even after all the mistakes and then all the choices that she had made, she ended up living the life that God had planned for her. It spoke to me where I was in my life at that moment and it reminded me of my dreams to be a writer. Something you may not know about me, growing up, I was always writing something. Always. I had notebooks full of stories and poems that I would keep with me at all times. I would post stories on fan fiction websites, aka the Wattpad thing I was telling you about. And I will post stories on other fiction websites about whatever boy band that I had crushing at the time. Because I was loving me some B5 back in the day. Don't judge me, judge your mama. Thank you. Anyway, I was always finding whatever excuse I could to write something. And as I grew up, the dream kind of died a little bit. I went to college. The relationship I was in at the time was not a healthy one and I let that person convince me to not go for it. As a result, I held that dream close to my heart to protect it because I was kind of embarrassed. I would stop mentioning it. I stopped reading as often. All of that. Until this book. Until Bamboozled by Jesus kind of nudged me in that direction. And here I am writing reviews, telling stories, doing podcast episodes. So it all kind of worked out in the end. Another book is Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Discover How to Move On, Make Peace with Painful Memories, and Create a Life That's Beautiful Again by Lysa Techhurst. Really bad that name. I'm sorry. I butchered it. I know. It's L-Y-S-A-T-E-R-K-E-U-R-S-T. Do with that what you will. I think it's pretty self-explanatory how this book kind of impacted my life. I mean, I'd held on to a lot of hurt growing up. I won't get into the specifics because there's no need to rehash, but even recently 
before the creation of this podcast, I had experienced situations that really cut deep and I was having trouble letting go and moving on. I kept replaying the situation in my head, wondering where I went wrong or feeling embarrassed for allowing someone to hurt me so deeply. And this book helped me navigate that and learn how to separate the good memories from the painful ones. So if you're struggling to heal from past hurt and being stuck in a loop with the situation replaying over and over in your head, I suggest this book. Read it. Thank me later. The next book that impacted me is I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Meant for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. This book, y'all, whew, this book, what I wasn't expecting was for this story to resonate with me so heavily. I was catching up on Bel Air and they mentioned it in passing and I got curious and borrowed it from the library because it was like four hours long on audiobooks. So I was like, you know, I give it a quick little listen, write a review, boom, boom, boom. It's good, whatever. And then literally, boom, my life changed. <laughs> life changing book. Literally, this is one of the most powerful books I've ever read. It reduced me to a puddle of tears to read slash hear so many of my deepest childhood thoughts that I didn't have the knowledge to put words on at the time so eloquently laid out in front of me, right? I felt like this book was specifically written for me, for little Lauren. I grew up in schools where I was one of the few, if not the only black kid. And as a result, I often felt out of place, even around those who looked like me. I became too black for the white kids, but too white for the black kids. It caused a pretty intense identity crisis inside my little brain while I was struggling to figure out what being black meant to and for me. A lot of it I didn't know how to verbalize at the time, like I said, because I didn't have the life experience or the vocabulary to know what was happening around me. I just knew that it was wrong and it felt weird, but I couldn't understand why. This book made sense of everything I had been feeling at that time. It recognized and validated feelings that I had tucked away and built over in order to protect myself. I encourage everyone to read this book, especially if you've ever struggled with what it meant to be black in a space full of people that treated you as less than because of that. Read it and then thank me later. The last book I want to mention is The Midnight Library. Ooh, I said that weird. Let me try it again. <laughs> the last book I want to mention is The Midnight Library. By Matt Haig. I feel like I mentioned this book at least 50 times a week. If you've ever had a conversation with me about books that I like, I probably will have mentioned this one at some point, but it's just, it was just that impactful. And I'm unashamed about it. A lot of people complain that this is basically just a self-help book disguised as a fiction. And honestly, I mean, I can't dispute that. You're, you're kind of right. It is. <laughs> I mean, it, it pretty much is, but it's still, it's so beautifully done. I'm gonna read the summary for you just in case you haven't read it. Somewhere out beyond the edge of the universe, there's a library that contains an infinite number of books, each one the story of another reality. One tells the story of your life as it is, along with another book for the other life that you could have lived if you had made a different choice at any point. While we all wonder how our lives might have been, what if you had the chance to go to the library and see for yourself? Would any of these other lives be, truly be better? I went into it, mostly because I'm distracted by pretty things and the cover of the book drew me in. I think I was reading something else at the time, but in true excited puppy fashion, like me, I saw someone talk about this book on TikTok. And as soon as they flashed the cover, I was like, oh my God, I need it now. Oh my God. And I found it and I read it. And it resonated so deeply in my soul that I had to sit in silence for a bit after I was finished. I don't typically reread books once I'm done, but this one I will definitely reread time and time again. 
It changed how I thought about regrets and life choices. It reminded me to never underestimate the small things. Read this book and thank me later. If you don't like it, then lick concrete, my friend. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, seriously, though. Anyway, those are four books that have really resonated with me. What books have changed your life? I'm curious. Let me know. I'd love to hear about them. And for this next session, I wrote a story a while back called Retribution. It was actually one of, uh, like, you know, every now and then they have those Reddit threads that are screenshot and posted on different apps. I think this was a Reddit thread that was posted on Facebook and I saw it and everyone was like, oh my God, this was making an amazing story. So I took the premise, put a little Lauren's Library twisty twist on that thing because we don't plagiarize around here, okay? And this is what I came up with. I kept toying with the idea of fleshing it out to an entire novel, but I'm not sure. I'll let you guys be the decider of that, okay? Well, yeah, here we go. Retribution, mature themes mentioned. I sat at the kitchen table, the weight of what I had just done finally hitting me. I don't regret it. It had to be done, but that didn't make me feel any better about it. I wanted to be able to close my eyes and this all be a dream. I wanted to roll over and kiss my husband on the cheek and watch him smile a little in his sleep. But that wasn't going to happen anymore. My marriage is over. Kendrick had cheated on me so many times, it felt almost comical at this point. I couldn't even stomach the thought of him anymore. We had agreed to tell everyone that we were divorcing due to irreconcilable differences, which is technically true. We can't seem to agree on the fact that being married means you should stay faithful. I have. Why can't he? We finally had a big argument about it after tension had been building up for months, and he drove to the airport last night to board a late flight to California. He had agreed to go stay with his mother for a little while to give us both some much-needed space. The house seemed so empty without him, but I was sort of happy he was gone. A sharp knock on the door snatched me out of my trance. My older sister, Molly. Hi, Clark. I heard about what happened. Wanted to check on you. How are you? She reached for a hug, which I welcomed so she wouldn't see me rolling my eyes. Of course he told her what happened between us. They'd been sleeping together for years. They didn't realize I knew, but neither one of them had been good at keeping secrets. I had caught on almost immediately. It took a lot of effort to keep from slapping her right across the mouth every time I saw her. I offered a tired smile when I pulled back from her hug. Molly meant well, even if she was a backstabbing whore. I'm doing all right. He got on a flight to California late last night. He's going to spend some time with his mom for a bit. Something flickered in Molly's eyes, but I couldn't quite place it. Just as quickly as it was there, it was gone. She smiled at me and looked around. Well, I won't keep you. I know you have to get to work. Just wanted to stop by and give you a hug. She reached for me again. I was tired of hugging at this point. Tired of pretending like I didn't know what they were doing. It's insulting, having the nerve to smile in my face like she wouldn't hop on Kendrick the first opportunity. After she left, I dragged myself to the shower. She was right, I did have to get ready for work. 
life goes on. Even when your marriage crashes and burns. Molly. California? Please. What Clark didn't know was that after her husband left her last night with promises of going to see his mother in California, he actually came to my place. The only place he felt like he could truly be at ease. At least that's what he tells me. I smiled to myself as I thought about how Clark used to always try and compete with me as kids and even on into early adulthood. Little sister always wanted to be like me, even if she never wanted to admit it. Everything I had, she just had to have one better, even boyfriends. Clark was the prettier and more likable of the two of us. It was irritating being the responsible one all the time while she got to do whatever she wanted and she got to reap the benefits. I was always getting her out of trouble. Clark was always down for a good time, so of course my boyfriends would forget about me as soon as she came around. When I started dating Kendrick back in college, she had just had to seduce him, even though she was still in high school at the time. I couldn't expect mom or dad to step in and prevent little sis from dating a college senior when she was still in high school. They were too busy drinking themselves to death. There was no one to watch her, no one to guide her except me. She ended up spending more time with me and Kendrick than she did at home. So I can't lie and say that I didn't see it coming. He broke up with me over text message, and had I not been trying to figure out a way to get rid of him before she snatched him, I would have been furious. But he was a sexual deviant and a bully. She took him off my hands. Thanks, sis. Or so I thought. Soon after he dumped me and married my sister, he came crawling back into my bed, claiming that she didn't know how to run a household like I did. That just means that she didn't cook, clean, and cater to his every whim like I used to, even though he was a pig and I really couldn't stand him. Something about him drew me in. That's how it always was. He would mistreat me and make me feel small, but would draw me back in under his spell. At the time he came back, I had been pissed off at Clark for having the nerve to tell me I would always be single because no one would want someone so serious, and I figured this would be the perfect F.U. No one would ever want me, huh? Then why is your husband in my bed, you ungrateful witch? I assumed it would only be a one-time thing, but he kept coming back. Couldn't get rid of him to save my life, no matter how much I may have wanted to. Kendrick had a compulsive need to cheat. He'd sleep with anything. It was almost as if he had some type of problem. He cannot keep it in his pants to save his own life. That's how he ended up with my high school-aged sister when we were getting ready to graduate with our undergraduate degrees. Couldn't seem to control himself. So, knowing this, I shouldn't have been surprised when I caught him in bed with my 13-year-old daughter, right? What makes the entire situation even worse is the bastard felt no remorse when I confronted him about it. He knew no one would believe me. No one saw the side of him, not even Clark. I tried to warn her before she married him, but she just assumed I was jealous as always. She never listened to my advice. She always assumed that I was just trying to suck the fun out of everything. After he left her that night, he came crawling back to me, and while we were sitting together watching television, I asked him, Did you assault my daughter? I felt him stiffen next to me for a second. Assault? He spat the words as if it tasted bitter in his mouth. I didn't respond, just sat and waited for the answer. I already knew it, I just wanted to see if he would own up to it. He stared back at me, but when he realized I wasn't letting up, he tilted his head at me and gave me that same sickly grin I had seen so many times. 
I didn't assault her. It was mutual. She liked it. I felt the bile rise in my throat. Kendrick, she's 13. She's a child. She can't consent to anything like that, and you know it. You're a grown man. He rolled his eyes and sat up off the couch. Watching him here, I could not for the life of me figure out what people saw in him. What did I see? What did my sister see? This man is a devil. Nothing less. When he looked at me again, I wasn't prepared to see the evil in his eyes. He grinned at me. Call her what you want. All I know is that she enjoyed it. Now do it again. You know I will. To stop me, you'll have to kill me. So I did. I'm so sorry, sister. Watching him bleed out on my living room floor was more satisfying than I had imagined it would be. I smiled at how wonderfully this had all played out. I had been trying to figure out a way to lure him over here without arousing suspicion, but then he showed up on his own, crying about divorcing my sister and having to go to California. It was unbelievably perfect timing. She wouldn't be looking for him for a few days, and the rest I could figure out later. I dragged his body to the back of the house and buried him in the woods, deep enough into the trees that no one would find him if they didn't know where to look. No one ventured out here into these woods because they were so dark and ominous, even in the daytime. Clark and I would always joke about how easy it would have been for someone to hide a body back here because everyone was too afraid to be out here. Let's see how true that is. Thankfully, my daughter was staying with her father for a few weeks, just to get away for a bit. She didn't need to see this. She had already been through so much. My eyes cheered up, thinking about walking in on the two of them and witnessing her struggle under his grip. Neither one of them saw me, and I took all of my strength to back out of the room without making a sound. I wanted to kill him then, but I had to wait. I didn't want to let on that I knew. It took a week to convince my daughter's father to take her for a little while so I could handle some things here. It was the longest week of my life. Try not to kill this man every time he showed up on my doorstep. I don't regret what I did. He deserved it. I would kill him again if I had to, just to protect my daughter. I would always protect my family. I was protecting Clark, too, even if she couldn't see it now. She may not understand why I had to at first, but one day she'll see it from my side. He was a problem that had to be solved. I was the fixer. I fixed the problem. He had to die. As I cleaned the blood from my carpet, making sure to clean every inch of the living room to cover any possible blood splatters, I thought about how much simpler the world would be without him. One less child rapist in the world. Good riddance, you bastard. Clark. Alright, get the file together for me before tomorrow. I need to contact the teacher for questioning. I spoke with my assistant as I pulled into the driveway of my home. Today had been an unusually easy day at work. I had so many cases that needed my attention, I had only thought about Kendrick once. Which is pretty good, considering. Being distracted when you're trying to conduct an investigation is a recipe for disaster. By the time I got home, it was dark out, but there was already a light on in the living room when I pulled up. I sat for a second, trying to remember if I had turned it on before I left. I don't think I did. I had no reason to. It was broad daylight when I left. Once inside the house, I went upstairs to change clothes. I opened the bedroom door and flicked on the light to find Kendrick sitting on the bed in the dark, facing the window. His posture was unusually straight. He almost looked like a statue. I jumped a little, not expecting to see him here. Wasn't he supposed to be in California? He turned slowly at the sudden burst of light and gave me a smile that didn't quite meet his eyes. Hi, honey. 
he stood up and made his way to me. I stood still, completely confused. In all of our years together, this man never called me honey. He always joked that it sounded like we were on a sitcom from the 50s, where the woman was expected to have dinner on the table for her husband when he came home. Plus, after last night's conversation, honey is the last thing I expected him to call me. Hi, what are you doing here? Did you miss your flight? It was his turn to look confused. He blinked at me for a second, obviously trying to figure out something to say. Oh, my flight. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess I did. He ran a hand over his mustache and shrugged. I caught a glimpse of a scar on his hand that had never been there before. Well, or had it? I don't remember seeing it. So what are you planning to do then? I asked him, getting irritated. I had been counting on this time alone to figure out my next moves. After everything I had been through with him, the least he could do was give me that privacy. But before he could answer, he was interrupted by the doorbell. I sighed to myself and left to answer the door. Figuring it was Molly again, back to pretend like she cared. I really didn't have the patience for either one of them at this moment. I just wanted to be left alone so I could figure things out. But that was going to be impossible with these two breathing down my neck. When I opened the door, I saw my sister standing there smiling at me, holding a carton of ice cream and two spoons. I forced a smile. I figured you could use some company, she said. I didn't want company, but I still stepped aside to let her in. As much as she annoyed me, she was my sister, and I loved her. Sometimes. That would never change. Maybe. She sat the ice cream on the counter and turned back to me. How was work? Were you able to stay distracted? I opened my mouth to answer, but just as I did, the color drained from her face and she let out a startled scream. Her gaze fixed on something over my shoulder. I whirled around to see what she was looking at, and it was Kendrick. He stood at the top of the stairs, smiling. It was a grin I'd never seen on him before. A sickly grin. Something sinister lurked behind his expression. He stared directly at Molly. Some type of staring contest between the two of them? It was odd. It was almost as if I wasn't even in the room. My annoyance flared. Did they really have to do this in front of me? I looked back at my sister and was surprised to see her standing with her back pressed against the door, completely ashen and looking like she was going to be sick. This wasn't a look of passion between two secret lovers. This was something else. Something dangerous. Molly. After work, I had figured I'd go check on Clark. That's what good big sisters do, right? I picked up a carton of her favorite ice cream from the store. As I drove to her place, I tried to come up with a good excuse as to where Kendrick was. For now, I had some time that eventually she would start questioning where he was. Of course, I'm really not supposed to have any idea what he's doing or have anything to do with him other than being his sister-in-law. So maybe I didn't need an excuse at all. If I could keep the suspicion off of me, I would be in the clear. I arrived at Clark's house 15 minutes later. It looked similar to mine, just bigger, of course. Like I said, she had to one-up me whenever she could. I shook the thought out of my head before the anger could set in. Now is not the time. My little sister needs me, even if she doesn't know it yet. I knocked on the door, ice cream in hand, ready to be the comforting big sister. When she answered, the expression on her face was one of annoyance. But I ignored it. I figured you could use some company, I said to her, hoping the ice cream would thaw her out a little bit. Sister always did love ice cream. She sighed and stepped aside to let me in. 
Maybe work was tough today. No matter. We could talk about it while we watched terrible documentaries on Netflix. I placed the ice cream on the counter and turned to face her. How was work? Were you able to stay distracted? I saw her opening her mouth to respond, but anything she said after that was drowned out by the ringing in my ears. No. 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 I could feel my blood run cold. My mouth was too dry to speak all of a sudden. I could feel Clark looking at me and wondering why I was reacting this way. And I couldn't even tell her why without completely giving myself away. There at the top of the stairs, grinning at me in a way that made my stomach drop to my knees was my very own personal nightmare. There was something dead behind his stare, even though he was smiling. This cannot be happening. This man cannot be standing here, and yet, here he was. Smiling at me with a grin that I never thought I'd see again. His gaze intense and penetrating. Felt like he could see into my soul. I thought I'd gotten rid of him. I had killed this man. There was way too much blood loss for him to not be dead. I was scrubbing my home for hours, trying to clean everything up. I had even been down to visit the grave before coming to see my sister just to make sure. It was undisturbed, tucked deep in the woods, where no one would find him. That was Kendrick. Kendrick was dead. I know it in my bones. So who's this? That's all we have time for today, friends. <laughs> Yeah, so what'd you guys think? Let me know. Head over to my blog at thebookiebabe.com and poke around a bit, read some stuff, rate some stuff. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. You can follow, like, or leave a message at Lawrence Library Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me posting detailed reviews on thebookiebabe underscore Instagram and on TikTok. But be gentle. I am behind on TikTok and I'm also behind on Instagram. Life be life and y'all just bear with me. Don't give up on me, okay? Don't do it. Stick around. Don't leave me. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'll be serious. Anyway, I said all that to say, if you want to say hello, there are multiple ways to contact me. Take your pick. But one way or another, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye, guys.